Temps have shown a drop of about 40% in the extent of sea ice cover in the Arctic since 1980. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Big banks. The impossible takes two days and miracles take three. Where you've got so many different departments and divisions. Shaping investors' expectations. Money for nothing. Good morning all. It's Tuesday 21st of July and these are your daily business headlines. Uh, on Money for Nothing, I'm Richard Harris. The gold price takes a tumble. Greece pays the IMF 2 billion euros to start paying off its debts and the banks open, but problems remain. There's four and a half thousand containers at the moment in the main port of Piraeus awaiting for the customs and excise procedure, which requires documentation from the banks. Top executives of Toshiba are accused of overstating profits by 1.2 billion US dollars. PayPal grows up and is spun off from its parent eBay. Today we do a deep dive into two markets, China and Greece. On China, we have our old friend, the very experienced Hong Kong and China market commentator, Francis Lun of Geosecurities. <laughs> and we delve into Greece with Dr. Andrew Ferres, who actually happens to be Greek. He's an economist with 47 years of experience and has just returned to Hong Kong from a trip to the land of his birth. Our guest host today is a homegrown economist, Connie Bolland, founder of Economic Research Analysis. And I'm far too much of a gentleman to tell you of her many years of experience. Good morning, Connie. Good morning. Uh, Connie, we've got US inflation down, housing starts up, unemployment down, Greece solver now. The world's looking a much happier place, isn't it? Well, for the time being, yes. I mean, there are lots of problems that are not really completely resolved. Uh, but at, la- at least we can um, sleep better at night for a shorter time. <laughs> I'm pleased to, to hear that. Uh, like an economist, you seem to be um, uh, hedging your bets a little bit. Well, you know, um, the, the deals with Greece is just something that, um, you know, give you a little respite. But you think about it, they still have loads of money that's owed to a lot of creditors. And uh, and the economy is probably going through a double-dip recession. So, you know, what is this to laugh about? <laughs> yeah, OK. Well, um, uh, hopefully we'll have things uh, a little bit happier a bit later on. The Financial Times leads this morning with a witty headline, Gold Bugs Squashed by Aggressive Selling. The gold price is now trading at just 1,100 US dollars an ounce. It's a five-year low. We had heavy selling in Asia yesterday morning, and that saw the more than 1.7 billion worth of bullion uh, dumped in a matter of minutes. On Friday in New York, the largest gold exchange traded fund reported the biggest one-day outflow in a year. Gold is now down 40% from its high, and some sense an orchestrated attempt to push the price down, which triggered others to sell. Michael Hutton of CMC Markets has a few other ideas. Gold prices have taken an absolute tumble on expectations that we may get a rate rise as soon, I think, as September. But there is another factor in in the context of this gold price decline, and that was last week's story about the fact that the Chinese central bank had actually accumulated less reserves. There's also lower demand for commodity prices across the board, and I think there's an element of gold playing catch-up. David Zervos, who's chief market strategist of Jefferies, gives a further view on where gold is going to go. 
I think it's, I mean, I think there's something much more to it than that. It's really whether you expect real returns on capital to be positive or whether you expect them to be negative. If you think that everybody's taking risk now and going out and buying Tesla stock and buying some biotech company and buying uh, a communications company, and those are going to generate real returns on capital, technological advance and innovation and all the things that Joe was talking about, then stocks are going to be a better investment than gold. Gold is a zero real return investment. It protects you from inflation. There's no innovation in gold. There's a, a gold necklace on your on your neck right now that looks exactly the same as it would look on Cleopatra two or three thousand or four thousand years ago or whenever it was. It's just no innovation. If you believe in innovation, then stocks are a far better trade. If you believe we're gonna be in the seventies and all real returns on capital are gonna be negative, that means adjusted for inflation returns, then gold's a great trade. Nick Johnson, portfolio manager at PIMCO, said that because the performance in gold has been so poor, people are now saying, I just don't want to own it anymore. Connie, gold's a little bit like Marmite or Vegemite, isn't it? You either love it or you hate it. Are you a gold bug or a gold bear? Neither, really. I mean, I have a little bit of gold, but it's uh, just for sort of uh, diversification. But, you know, gold is uh, something for hedging and inflation bet, that sort of things. But uh, at the moment, with the U.S. going to um, race race soon, September, December, who knows? Um, you know, the, 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 the game is different from a few years ago. Yes, basically what people are saying is rather than being in gold, they'd rather be in assets that may move up, you know, like stocks or uh, even the US dollar. Sure. Uh, at the moment, um, you know, you still have some, some bets on stocks, but look at the US stock market. Um, is this, um, you know, climbing higher and higher? So w- when will it readjust? We don't know. Um, the other thing is, of course, uh, gold is never just a matter of a rate of return kind of investment. Mm-hmm. It's more like a hedge uh, against security issues, against inflation fear and all that. So maybe a sign of a little bit, bit of a risk-off uh, attitude coming through. An investigative report released yesterday says that Toshiba's top executives played a role in a company-wide accounting scandal. Emily Chang of Bloomberg reports. The company says it must restate at least $1.2 billion in profit from the last six years. That is almost triple the company's earlier estimate. An internal accounting probe revealed Toshiba overstated its bottom line under pressure from management. The president (laughs) is scheduled to hold a news briefing tomorrow. Toshiba has lost $3.6 billion in market value since May 8th when the company withdrew all future earnings forecasts and canceled the year-end dividend. Good earnings edged the U.S. market higher with the S&P up a touch at 2,128, having broken its all-time high during interday trading. The U.S. market rose, uh, the tech index, sorry, the Nasdaq, again narrowly broke its all-time high, taking it to 5,218. In Europe, the mood was positive. The stock index uh, rose a half a point to 3,687, but Asia languished with little direction. Hong Kong was flat at 25,504, Shanghai slightly up at uh, 3,992. On the currency markets, the euro was up a touch at 1.08 euros to the dollar, yen at 1.2430, and the pound at $1.56. The Hong Kong dollars, $12.10 to the pound. Uh, Connie, yesterday we had Mark Matthews of Julius Baer, who thought that there may not be that much rise in the dollar because he thought the euro might be a bit stronger in keeping it in check. What do you think? Yeah, I, I have um, this feeling that the, um, the US dollar has come to uh, a peak. Uh, from a sort of uh, 
secular point of view. Uh, you know, most of the fears have uh, have been digested in the market, uh, and the euro is probably um, oversold. So, you know, in a in a sort of short term, uh, I think uh, you will see a rebound in the other currencies, i.e. a weakening of the U.S. dollar. Yeah, so although lots of people are saying the U.S. dollar might go up because of interest rates, um, if the euro stays relatively strong, then it may not do that because, of course, something's going to be weaker if something else is stronger. Exactly. Um, okay, well, let's move on to Francis Lun and do our deep dive on China Hi, today. Good morning. Hi, Francis. How Hi, are you doing? Fine. So you and Andrew are looking um, almost like brothers in your yellow shirts today. <laughs> no, mine is orange, actually. <laughs> uh, now, Deutsche Bank yesterday said China remains in a controlled slowdown. Yeah, is that sure. how you describe it? Yeah, definitely. I think you look at the stock market yesterday. Actually, it fell early in the morning when there was news coming out that, uh, well, the, the uh, national team, the government, may might uh, withdraw from the market after it finished its task of stabilizing the market and then and, and, and then the market went to a dive and then uh, the government had, had to come out and say no 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 we still have 800 billion uh, yuan to, uh, uh, of money to buy stocks so <laughs> and then the, the uh, Asia market ended up slightly higher so so now after intervention what next is that the, the national team can never leave the market so you you have a control market, control economy, and that the government cannot keep their hands out of anything in the in the economy. But we so, talk about control, but actually, they're <laughs> not sure if they're actually controlling it very very steadily. No, definitely, they, they haven't done a good job this year. They let the market went wild, and and then they get, and then they try to deleverage it, and they, it caused a crash. And then now they rescued the market, and and now the market is is in the doldrums. It will stay around the four thousand level for the foreseeable future. But it gets quite tough, doesn't it, with mm-hmm. um, with this sort of thing that people are going to start blaming the government yeah, for their losses yeah. if the government takes too much That's responsibility. Right. Actually, what's happening is that the bull market is dead already. Well, we won't see the bull market maybe for the next five years. So you can forget about China's stock market for the next five years. But we've seen the market, uh, okay, went up sharply. We've seen it come uh, off uh, yeah. 30-odd percent. It's still up. Seventy percent or so on the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's still up, but 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 the upside is very limited. Uh, I I think everybody will be selling at four thousand five hundred. Well, um, I just wonder, you know, with the economic numbers that came through in mm-hmm. the last couple of days, mm-hmm. uh, it sh- seems to suggest that there is a bit of uh, recovery in exports, and U.S. seems to be doing better, <laughs> and the other, and the, the services sector is doing quite well. So, well, the problem is that nobody trusts these figures. Even I don't trust these figures. Uh, you have to look at the Li Keqiang uh, index, meaning. Uh, uh, you, you have to look at the uh, the uh, rail transport, the electricity uh, consumption, and also the bank loans. And if you look at these figures, they are terrible. And then, and then actually, you should look at another figure, meaning the World uh, Commodity Index, which is look terrible, absolutely terrible. If you look at the iron ore, is something like forty dollars a ton. Down sharply, you look at crude oil, it's $50 a 
barrel. These are all But that should help fakers. China. Uh, yeah, lower commodities, China, yeah, lower that's oil. Right. But, but, but that also show a deep uh, uh, slowdown in the economy. But looking at uh, an increase in the US, uh, mm-hmm. Europe, markets like that, don't you think that those markets are likely to start dragging China up in time? Well, definitely. They, they will. But, but how soon? Connie? Well, you know, um, we talk about all these very terrible numbers in commodities, and yep. uh, may, maybe it just suggested that um, China is undergoing a deep transformation from heavy industries to lighter industries, well, like electronics, like yeah. IT, like technological innovations. Yeah, well, uh, internet uh, industry is the only bright spot in China because uh, the state-owned enterprises are out of it, and only private enterprises are are in the internet business. That is why it's doing well and it is a world leader. But look at any other industry that has a state intervention. They are terrible. They are disgusting, disgustingly terrible. And, and, and I like it when you sit on the fence, Francis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Francis, the um, A to H index, you know, the A share index uh-huh. versus the H share index, that used to be looked at as quite a strong uh, mm-hmm. indicator between the markets. But it seems to be losing its relevance. Uh, yeah, I, I agree because uh, n- nobody really trade on the difference between a, uh, price difference between A and H shares anymore. I think I think we live in two different worlds: uh, one a government control world, the, the other one a free world. I think I think H share prices are much more uh, down to earth and and reasonable, and it's much more rational. But but but, but the fact is, we cannot. Hide this uh, true fact that uh, the bull market is over. I think there's very little to look forward to either the Hong Kong market or the China market. So the easy money's uh, through. What are you telling your clients, though, that they should be doing? Well, actually, there are still some bright spots, okay? Uh, one, of course, is in the internet sector because of the rise in, the, in, the, in NASDAQ. The other one is really the small cap stocks because all the uh, big players, what, what you call the market makers, they, they escape from China because they are not able to sell anything. So they pull all the money from China, they come to Hong Kong and they look at uh, the small cap companies and they buy the shell and then they play with it. So these are the two bright areas that we can look at. Well, at least we ended on a happier note. Thank you very much, Francis. It's always good to talk to you. That's Francis Lun of Geosecurities in Hong Kong. According to the laws of Hong Kong, it's a serious offense to sell counterfeit and pirated goods on the Internet, including through social networking platforms. Young people running online businesses shouldn't assume that using terms such as like real can make it okay. Once convicted, your prospects will be ruined. Selling infringing goods on the internet ruins your prospects. Customs Information Hotline 2545-6182. It's now 8.18 and uh, we're going to uh, move on to our next uh, topic, which is Greece, which... Uh, has cleared overdue debt repayments of uh, over 2 billion euros with the International Monetary Fund and is no longer in arrears. 
The repayments and another $4.2 billion to the European Central Bank, which is due on Monday, uh, are going to come after the EU made Greece a short-term loan of €7 billion. Euros. Greek banks opened yesterday after having been closed for three weeks. Many restrictions remain, and Greeks are facing price rises with an increase in value-added tax uh, from 13% to 23%. Konstantin Mikolos of the Hellenic Chamber of Commerce in Athens spoke to the BBC about life in Greece today. Well, we always knew that it was going to be a very painful agreement, and indeed it was. It's recessionary, just as the previous two agreements and two austerity packages that we've had in this country since 2010. However, I think that we have no option, and the government has no option, but to begin to implement this agreement. Well, we're very lucky today to have with us a Greek economist who's just returned from Athens. Uh, Dr. Andrew Ferres of Ecognosis Advisory has uh, 47 years experience. So it's our opportunity here for a deep dive on Greece. Andrew, you told me you've just returned from Greece. Um, you were there at the time of the referendum. Did you vote for austerity or not? Actually, I don't vote in Greece. Uh, it saves you paying tax, does it's, it? It's a person- no, absolutely not. I pay all my taxes in Greece. And uh, what about um, the, uh, the referendum? It seemed to be rather a strange thing for the government to bring through. Well, it was a bluffing point, uh, somehow uh, asking Greek voters uh, to tell the German voters that uh, they would like uh, the German voters to pay some more money, and it failed, of course, miserably. Uh, the, the wording and the way in which the referendum was conducted was... Uh, was despicable. It was uh, almost positively illegal. But anyway, it's history now, and it damaged deeply the way in which uh, the Tsipras administration failed to negotiate. I didn't even say managed to negotiate, because they failed miserably to negotiate anything. Well, it also seemed that after that, that they caved in almost completely, because these <laughs> new measures seem to be quite, quite uh, restricted. Yeah, actually, Tsipras was voted in January by saying, no austerity, we are not going back to Troika, then uh, the campaign of the referendum was again, uh, no austerity, we're not going back to Troika, and that's exactly what he did, spineless. Now, one of the things that's not often talked about is the how the debt was built up in the first place. You know, we're now looking at, what, 315 or something billion euros. It's an enormous amount of money in a country that doesn't obviously seem to have new infrastructure um, or new services or something like that. Could you just tell us how it was built up, say, over the period before the global financial crisis? Well, you have to look at it in, in three particular stages. You have to see, I'm afraid, Greece... In, uh, from the mid-70s onward, where possibly the most destructive event in Greek modern history took place, and that is George Papandreou. That's the father of... Sorry, Andreas Papandreou. That's the father of the John Papandreou, another failed prime minister, took over and put Greece on a firm path to fiscal laxity and borrowing. Borrowing a little bit at a time. Okay, so the debt accumulated over a period of 40 years. It accelerated enormously on the coming up of the Olympic Games that were paid completely with uh, European money. And, and that was in course, 2000, wasn't That it? was in 2004. Then Greece entered the euro in 2002 on effectively forged numbers. In other words, it didn't fill any of the Maastricht uh, Convention uh, requirements. And then in the year 08, the Greeks said, uh, oops, we ran out of money. Connie? Well, uh, <laughs> if uh, you know, Greece should never have entered and now it is in deep uh, trouble, um, should it have uh, left as well? 
the circumstances of Greece leaving the euro would have created a set of recession that will make the present recession positively a tea party in the kindergarten. Uh, countries that leave pegged exchange rates uh, with deep external debts, domestic and external debts, pay a colossal price. I have the dubious privilege of living temporarily in Argentina in the year 2000-2001 when the Argentinians left the US dollar uh, from a pegged peso. And 15 years later, they haven't recovered. And uh, seen from nearby what happens when you move to a new currency from uh, another currency. In other words, the Greeks moving from the euro to drachma, the Argentinians moving from the US dollar to peso, doesn't bear thinking about I wouldn't wish it to my worst enemy. Unfortunately, the Greeks had to choose the best of two incredibly unpleasant options. That is, one, to leave the euro and go back to drachma, and the other is to stay within euro, pay the consequences, grit your teeth, and get on with it. But a lot of people would point to Iceland and say, well, they took the hard medicine. Their economy was completely crunched, down 30 40%. Um, but now things are a lot better, and they've got things on a, on a better scale. Uh, sorry, I think we also start corrected. Iceland is not a member of the European Union and never used the euro. Completely different cases. So sorry, you're, you're saying we're comparing apples with bananas, nothing to do with Greece. It's yeah. leaving a hard currency would be the problem. Yeah, absolutely. Iceland had a banking crisis. Greece didn't have a banking crisis. They did have a fiscal crisis within a pegged exchange rate regime. Now, just looking at people who might be sensitive to problems in Greece, we're looking at um, some figures that you've got, your uh, Greek debt data for year-end 2014. It looks as if 60% is owed to the Eurozone. Now, is that government or is that banks? No, this is the government, 76% to be precise, actually. Uh, Greece's, overwhelmingly, Greece's debt is held by the IMF, the European Union, and the European Central Bank. So if Greece was to default, as it will default again, okay, but in an orderly fashion, it will be defaulting to governments or international institutions rather than the private sector. Not that this makes it any better, but a world of difference. Foreign banks are now holding less than 1% of the Greek debt. Mm, I words, see that. But only 10% is held by the IMF, but they, uh, something like 6%. 60%, nearly 50% of that is the European uh, Union monetary, sorry, f uh, financial stabilization scheme. Right, okay, so that's, that's held jointly by the European governments as correct, well as the correct, European, correct. European central banks. Correct. Now, in the event uh, that Greece did come out of the euro, where are the big exposures going to be? Presumably, Greece will come out, they'll default on their debts. The people taking the big hits then are going to be the European Stability Fund, as opposed to uh, private banks, which was the big concern that might happen before. Correct. I mean, this, that, that, that's going to be the case. But uh, this is really Greece exiting the European Union uh, stops being just uh, a fiscal or a debt issue. Okay, it becomes uh, now a purely domestic issue because Greece will have to reintroduce drachma. Uh, to do that, first they will do it on a pegged one-to-one uh, -one basis with the euro, which nobody's going to believe. The new drachma will become instantly toilet paper. <laughs> Inflation could easily go up 50, 60, 70 percent, as it did in Argentina almost immediately after the introduction of the peso. And, of course, small but interesting details. Who is going to accept drachma externally? So since Greece imports practically everything, okay, they will not be able to use drachma to buy medicine, oil, and food. 
Okay, they will need to use euros, and I have no idea where they're going to find euros because nobody's going to lend them. Connie? Well, I mean, apart from this credibility issue, what is the structure of uh, Greek's economy? Is the export sector big enough to uh, allow a, a, a significant drama devaluation to help it, or, or maybe, you know, because it needs to import so much that it doesn't really sort of matter? Well, even with the sort of drama devaluation, it won't help the economy. In the last 30 years or more, Greece had had consistently, and that's absolutely unique. It had a trade deficit as well as a current account deficit, which means it relied either on the inflow of capital or borrowing or both. The inflow of capital was quite significant in terms of uh, grants and uh, assistance from the European Union. It's not true that Greece doesn't have a good infrastructure. Greece has one of the most superb road systems you have ever seen. People are unaware what incredible highways across Greece are there that have been built with European money. I'm not saying this is good or bad. This is simply an indication that not everything uh, went down the hole. But these were specific project finances. The rest of it was uh, the fiscal deficits of feckless Greek government that were voted in by irresponsible or at least non-thinking Greek voters. So just uh, very quickly, last 20, 20 seconds, Andrew, where do you think this is all going to go? Say, uh, give it's us going a six-month view. Yeah, it's going to go into two firm directions. One, the Tsipras administration is going to go out because they are both ideologically and technologically totally incapable of doing anything. Uh, I see a government of national unity led by a technocrat uh, uh, trying to sort the mess out. So that's uh, a new election. That's, yeah. uh, well, new elections of a kind. Okay, or Tsipras simply resigns and then uh, they both, all of the parties agree to support a non-political government. And the second part is there's going to be an orderly default. In other words, Merkel, the Germans, the, IM the IMF has been screaming for a, a default, have been said that the current level of external debt are unsustainable. So Greece will be led differently and it will default orderly again. Andrew, it's been a real treat to have you in the studio today to, um, uh, to give us a lot of uh, illustration on that. Uh, and thanks very much for coming in. Hope to see you again. That's Andrew Ferris, who's uh, with uh, Ognosis Advisory, uh, CEO there in Hong Kong. Just the uh, opening markets, they're looking quite perky today. The Nikkei is up uh, about half a percent to 20,750 and Seoul is also up half a percent to 2085. Australia just in positive territory. Um, Connie, um, what's your sort of overall thoughts uh, uh, about uh, the markets then? Are you um, uh, as negative as Francis or maybe as positive as um, I guess I am? <laughs> Which market are you referring to? The uh, Asia, HCR, US? Well, I think, I think the, just in terms of the world taking its view from a, a kind of US-European uh, spectrum. Well, I think actually uh, I'm not as pessimistic as Francis. Um, I'm somewhere in between. I, I basically think that uh, a lot of the bad news have been factored in and uh, you know, even gold maybe have been oversold because uh, it's kind of uh, triggered a stop loss order. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm looking at uh, people buying in at a lower level now and um, you know, maybe, maybe eventually uh, we'll see an um, uh, economy picking up. Great. Thank you, Connie. And uh, thank you, uh, too, for joining us again on Money for Nothing today. I'm Richard Harris, and here's the weather. It's going to be wet, 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 rain heavy at first with squally thunderstorms, fresh southwesterly winds. The outlook will be weather will remain unsettled in the next few days. The temperature at the observatory is 25 degrees C, and the relative humidity is 92%.
Stay tuned now for Peter Lewis and Business Extra, but first the news read by Samantha Butler. The mainland will prosecute a former senior aide to retired President Hu Jintao. Xinhua News Agency says an investigation found he took bribes and engaged in other corrupt behaviour. The report says Ling Jihua has been expelled from the Communist Party and his case handed over to judicial authorities. Radio Australia's Hui Fante reports. Ling Jihua's fortunes changed in 2012 after his only son died crashing his Ferrari in Beijing. Mr. Ling was subsequently demoted as rumors swirled that he covered up the accident. Now Mr. Ling has been expelled from the political party he joined nearly four decades ago. He is accused of corruption, abuse of power, adultery and various unspecified crimes. Mr. Ling is one of many officials to be swept up in an anti-corruption campaign waged by Chinese President Xi Jinping. The United States has welcomed a new beginning in its ties with Cuba after Havana opened an embassy in Washington for the first time in more than half a century. The U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry said restoring full ties would be a complex process. The Cuban Foreign Minister Bruno Rodriguez called for wider changes in U.S. policy. Cito la historia. I have referred to history to reaffirm that today an opportunity has opened up to begin working to establish new bilateral relations. Only the lifting of the economic, commercial and financial blockade, the return of the occupied territory,